This is the last week in our Easter storytelling series. Next week is Pentecost. And yet there is something that about telling our faith stories that we haven't addressed yet. This is a storytelling conundrum that I call the dad problem. My husband has met my father, so he's laughing already. Now, my mother loves telling, my father loves telling stories, and he insists that they are good stories. My mother, however, insists that stories should be accurate. So my dad will tell these amazing stories about herds of raccoons invading our campsite, and my mother will sigh and say, he's told that story so many times that he honestly believes it happened that way. I'm sure you can think of similar incidents in your own life where people experience maybe the same event, but then they're telling it all differently. And this is important, because God's story, the event of God entering human life and human stories, is something that happens for each and every one of us, but each of us is going to experience it in a different way. And no one can tell God's story in exactly the way that you can. We might be telling the same overarching story, but each of us, our storytelling matters. Each of us has an important perspective. Each of us has a needed voice. Sometimes our stories will resonate with other people's stories. And other times our stories will challenge other people's stories. But as Christians... As people of faith, we need to share our stories with the world. One saint of the church, Oscar Romero, put it like this. Each one of you has to be God's microphone. Each one of you has to be a messenger, a prophet. The church will always exist as long as there is someone who has been baptized. Where is your baptism? You are baptized in your professions, in the fields of workers, in the market. Wherever there is someone who has been baptized, that is where the church is. And there is a prophet there. So we look around the sanctuary and we say, you are a prophet and you are a prophet and you are a prophet. And you've been given a story and you've been given a story and you've been given a story. We are each God's microphone. We each have a story to tell, and our stories then amplify God's story in the world. Our stories help other people find their own stories. My friend Hannah recently published a book entitled, This is My Body. Now, uh, pre Hannah previously worked here as an interim office manager, and her two-year-old came with her during the time that she was working at the church. So she signed a copy of her book to the church library, and you can check it out whenever you want. But her signature says, Dear UUMC, sorry for anything my kid broke. Now, I don't think that her two-year-old actually broke anything, 
But we did have to take the office HVAC unit apart several times to rescue the, her keys that her kid kept putting inside of it. Now, Hannah is similar to me in several ways. We're both young, white, Christian women married to clergymen. But her story is different. It's a story that only she can tell, even though I resonate with very much of it. Hannah tells the story of her first time hearing a song that had all-female imagery and pronouns for God. As soon as worship was over, she and the other women in the room rushed to each other. Did you feel the power of that song? Is this how men feel every Sunday? And I resonate with that story because I've had similar experiences, even though I wasn't there on that particular day with that particular song. And I hope that men in this room can hear and appreciate that story, even if your own experiences are radically different. I don't think that you actually uh, feel that same sense of power every time we use he pronouns. My guess is it's just normal. Hannah is also a mother, which is an experience I do not share. And Hannah writes about going through her pregnancy feeling very disconnected from her body until she went to the communion table where she heard the words, this is my body. And they echoed down through her body and soul. She writes, I heard communion described as the place where we take Christ's body and blood, separated from each other by humanity's lust for control, and put them back together in our own bodies, yielding to the loving will of God. Through this act, I put the body and blood of Christ back together inside my body. And I fed the new life growing inside of me. Later, Hannah's son was born, and her body and her heart both broke in that process. Her son spent several weeks in the NICU, and during that time, Hannah, still at home, was having to get up around the clock to nurse a breast pump instead of a tiny partner. One night at 3 a.m., she writes, Glancing at myself in the bathroom mirror, I laughed. Because I felt like myself, but the reflection I saw was entirely new. Same body, different me. Long hair barely held in a low ponytail. Hormonal cystic acne spread across my face, neck, and upper chest. Breast achingly swollen, even though I'd just completed pumping. Abdomen rumpled by the hard outline of the binder support the hospital had provided for my post-C-section healing. Eyes heavy and bleary from the lateness of the hour, my face, arms, and fingers were visibly puffy, both from postpartum hormones and from my preeclamptic blood pressure, which remained high. As I studied myself, I thought, so this is my body. At the same time, I heard the distant echo of celebrants and officiants, pastors and preachers at the common table, reciting the communion liturgy. This is my body broken for you. 
This is my blood shed for you. In that moment, the words that I'd regarded as symbols of death and sacrifice resounded in my ears as ones that applied to birth and new life. This was my body. It was my blood. Broken, shedding, necessary components of the process of bringing new life into the world. The breaking and bleeding hadn't killed me, though they threatened to. Instead, they transformed me. Breaking was the starting point for a brand new life. How had I never noticed that bodies given and blood shed are not relegated to the communion table, but instead are the exact manner through which we are all brought to life? Reading those words of Hannah's, I think, through the words of John, in the letter of 1 John. The Spirit, the water, and the blood bear witness on earth. The Spirit does not testify alone, and the water does not testify alone, and the blood does not testify alone. Neither do we testify alone. Now, on a day like today, Mother's Day, we risk testifying alone because we don't give voice to the myriad emotions and relationships, especially on this day. We risk a monolithic story where all mothers are good and sweet and kind and like flowers. My own mother says, who wants flowers as a gift? They only die. What are you saying? My love is like those flowers not lasting very long? We commit sin if we assume that all stories of mothers are the same. Some of us here have stories of mothers who are absent or abusive or just completely disconnected. Some of us have mothers who have died and we might be miss them, or we might be breathing a sigh of relief. Others of us have longed ourselves to be parents, but that just hasn't been the way it turned out. Or we do have children, and those relationships are strained. Each of these stories matter, because each human being and each relationship matter to God. We need to tell our stories, especially when those stories challenge the dominant narrative. In a world that romanticizes and sidelines women, what are your stories of a God beyond gender who creates all people in God's image? In a world that simultaneously spoils and neglects and dismisses children— What are your stories of a God who calls each one of us to become like little children? In a world where the dominant narrative shifts between death-dealing and death-denying, what are your stories of a life facing death honestly and squarely? In a world of pessimism and cynicism, what are your stories of hope? In a world of stereotypes and racism and colonialism and heterosexism and all the other isms, what are your stories of justice and righteousness 
and mercy and peace. What are your God sightings? What is the story that you are called to tell? What is your story? Or rather, what are your stories? Because all of us have stories that are connected together. I'm thinking of a young woman, about five years old, who read last week from her children's Bible to a group of adults at this church. We had asked her to read us her favorite story, and she chose Moses in a basket. Well, that's my favorite Old Testament story, she said. Well, I asked, what's your favorite New Testament story? Oh, well, that one, it's hard to read from because it's a chain story. For those of you who don't speak five-year-old and the way that they're teaching these days, a chain story is a story that is connected to all the stories that precede it and follow it. So it's part of a longer narrative. I said, oh, well, what's, what's the chain story that is your favorite? And she goes, well, it starts with an angel visits Mary, and it goes all the way through breakfast on the beach. In other words, her favorite chain story was all the stories of Jesus. And one of these days, I hope she does tell this long chain story. And I hope her story doesn't end with breakfast on the beach, the resurrection appearance of Jesus. But I hope that this chain story continues down through her own life today. Just as the chain story of Jesus continues in all of our lives each and every day. Because as we tell and retell these stories, our own lives are shaped by them. Our stories become part of God's witness and work in the world. So I'm going to conclude by rereading verses 7 and 8 from today's scripture. And you can go ahead and open your NRSV worship Bibles, but you're not going to find these verses in there. At least not like this. I'm going to read from the New King James Version, which you know I rarely do. I like inclusive language. Y'all might not know that. It's a part, but these verses are a part of 1 John that are called the Johannine comma. It was probably, this Johannine comma was probably inserted as a gloss on the text that then got repeated and copied over and over in the textual tradition. So that by the time the King James Version was translated in the 17th century, it was an assumed part of the text. The way the story had been repeated shaped the community, and in turn, the community shaped the text. And this is that Johannine comma. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. In this Johannine comma, we witness truth for heaven and earth. 
Whether in heaven or on earth, there are multiple voices, multiple testimonies. The Father, the Word, and the Spirit testify in heaven. And the Spirit, the water, and the blood each testify on earth. And whether on heaven, in heaven, or on earth, all of our stories matter. Together we testify. And now, our calling on this earth is to go tell our stories. Amen.